0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 16 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC16. This is Secret Church 16, Episode 8. It At leads to atheism. Uh, Ten minutes. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So uh, what about, what about, so we've talked about belief in God, God, spirit, supernatural realities. What about those who believe only in the natural? No God, no gods, no spirits, no such thing. So debunk a few myths about atheism. One, let's debunk the idea that atheists believe in nothing. Atheists believe, have their beliefs. So whether or not you call atheism religion, it's clear it's a belief system that's at work in an atheist life. Everybody lives according to some sort of belief. So it'd be myth that they believe in nothing. It'd also be myth that atheists have no morals in life. So we're gonna talk in just a minute about atheism lacking an objective basis morality. That doesn't mean all atheists are immoral or don't have morals, understandings of right and wrong by which they live. And then third, all atheists are either communist, left-wing, left wing, or liberal. So uh, yes, communist teaching is predominantly atheistic. One could even argue in light of understandings of the basis of morality, atheists could be more liberal, open to different ways of living as a result of their beliefs, but it's definitely not true that any atheist is automatically communist, left-wing, liberal. It's entirely, entirely possible for an atheist to be right-wing, conservative, capitalist. So who are atheists? What do they believe? So sum it up, uh, again, it's a broad stroke, 1.6 billion people, uh, but... Generally, atheists believe there is no God or there are no gods. Atheism believes that there is no God or gods. Now, similar to atheism, not exactly the same would be agnosticism, which agnostics believe it's impossible to know if there is a God or if there are gods. So the A, the A here before is before Gnostic, a term for knowledge, so you can't know if there, you can't have knowledge if there is a God or God. So practically, though, agnostics mostly end up living as atheists. So most agnostics, who believe that you can't really know if there's a god or gods don't then turn around and live like there is a god or gods they turn around and functionally operate live as if there is no God or gods. So then just to introduce this term secular humanism secular humanists apply atheistic agnostic belief to a formal ideological system. So this is from the Council for Secular Humanism for many mere atheism the absence of belief in gods and the supernatural or agnosticism the view that such questions can't be answered aren't enough. Atheism and agnosticism are silent on larger questions of value and meaning. If ultimate meaning in life is not ordained from on high what other meaning can we work out among ourselves? If eternal life is an illusion how can we make the most of our only lives? As social beings sharing a godless world, how should we coexist? For the questions that remain unanswered after we've cleared our minds of gods and souls and spirits, many atheists, agnostics, skeptics, and free thinkers turn to secular humanism. So secular humanism is formalized atheism or agnosticism, characterized by a philosophical naturalism that affirms the natural, denies the supernatural, So according to secular humanism, nature is all that there is. As a result, knowledge is gained by scientific inquiry into the natural, not simplistic appeal to the supernatural. So use the scientific method to discover what's true. Don't appeal to anything outside of scientific authority. That would be unreliable. Scientific, not supernatural authority is superior authority. And flowing from that philosophical naturalism is a consequential ethicism. Ethicism, so ethics... Ethicism, uh, which basically says ethics and morals are determined over time by results in culture. In other words, moral relativism. Morals are relative over time. So what may be perceived as right and wrong at one time may change over time and across cultures, which leads and and results here refers to human discovery, human achievement. So as humans discover more truths, achieve greater heights, our ethics and morals evolve, they change. So one clear example of this in our culture would be marriage and sexuality. We've supposedly advanced in the increasingly secularized West. We've come to realize that homosexuality, bisexuality, transgender sexuality are right not wrong in fact to say that those things are wrong now is to be wrong so what was commonly held sexual morality 100 years ago is now different 100 years later or 10 years ago 10 years later for that matter at the core ethics and morals develop over time through progress and society or in the words of our current president of the united states our ethics evolve over time So this is a picture of what atheists and agnostics believe and this core tenets of philosophical naturalism. So how does this play out practically? And what I did is I pulled some examples from a positive atheism online forum. So these are people describing how they became atheists, even from Christian backgrounds. Not not to say that these people speak for all atheists, but I think their words take what we're talking about with atheism in ways that could seem just philosophical and make them very practical. And I do trust they represent different types of atheists in different ways. Again, not all, but I think they give us a glimpse into the worldview at the foundation of atheism. So for obvious reasons, I didn't use their specific individual names. I've given them names to try to represent some of their perspectives. So we'll start with Scientific Sam. So... Who are atheists? What atheists believe? And here from Sam. He says, after years of self-study in philosophy, religion, and science, I finally came to the conclusion that there are no gods and there have, never have been any gods. The whole God thing has been nothing more than an invention of humans looking for an answer, answers to the fact of existence. As I look back on the whole process, I wonder why it took me so long to reach this obvious conclusion. I believe the acceptance of the fact of evolution was the deciding factor in the conclusion that gods did not and do not exist. Evolution and the natural evil in the world settle the matter for me. There are still questions that science may not be able to answer. I still wonder why there's something instead of nothing the complexity of life still awes me i miss the comfort of old legends but in the end i prefer the truth instead of lies and falsehoods however cold the truth may be so philosophical naturalism scientific authority superior authority science has all the answers even though science doesn't have all the answers i'm not going to appeal to supernatural for answers i don't have i'm exclusively looking to science the natural world scientific sam then uh moral mark Looking back on my youth, I realized I wanted to belong to the good, true, moral crowd. But what I found is that it isn't a moral crowd and its teachings are not true. Religions are made up of lies and metaphors to scare their followers into practicing a certain kind of morality. Here's my conclusion. Man invented God. Man desires power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Man feels guilt fear, and compassion. These are the tools that are utilized to brainwash the uneducated and weak into believing that they alone are the moral elite. Brainwashed individuals that are infected with religious belief then infect their children and this perpetuates ignorance and superstition. Religion is just amoral intellectual slavery. My name is Mark and I'm proud to call myself a moral atheist. So Mark, obviously disenfranchised by the morality or lack thereof that he saw in religions around him, simply he concluded he doesn't need religion for morality. He's better off without religion. He can be moral with no appeal to religion, no belief in God whatsoever. Moral atheist. Then third, last one, insignificant Isabel, which sounds like a negative in designation that I'm giving to her, but... Listen to how she describes herself. Coming from a background in Christianity, she said, "I'm grateful that I believed the stories of the Bible when I was little. This gave me a calm childhood without any earth-shattering events that made me grow up faster. Once I did grow up, I started studying the natural sciences. sciences. Then, after three years of intense studying, it was clear that my eyes were opening wide, and that it would be impossible to ever shut them again. After my 20th birthday, I felt that I had finally grown into my skin, and all my adolescent insecurities was gone. Were gone. Now I was ready. Once my fear was gone, everything was easy to accept. First, there is no God. Second, I'm an insignificant part of the universe." Third, when I die, I'm dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. Fourth, there's no invisible superparent who takes care of me and guides me through life. It was a scary naked feeling at first, realizing I'm on my own and I better make the best choice, best of the one chance of bat that I have. I found out that there is a heaven, but not your everyday Bible thumping heaven. My heaven is the circle of trust and comfort I've created with those close to me. Together we walk through life. No crutches are needed and we stroll hand in hand down a short bumpy road, pausing as often as possible to smell the roses as we gently approach the end. So Isabel, having grown up with at least somewhat of a Christian background, came to refute what she read in the Bible. There is no God. There's nothing beyond this life. There's only today, the here and now. I'm like every other piece of matter in the world, an insignificant part of the universe, destined to die, return to the dust. So let me make the most of the moments I have with the people around me. So each of these atheists, I mean, this is different perspectives, different journeys for how they came to atheism, but we, we got to think, not just in general, so individual people, how do we share the gospel with Sam, Mark, Isabel, or others who maybe like them in, in different ways? So here's some exhortations. One, much like we talked about with Islam and others, create humble dialogue. Create humble dialogue. So don't feel like you need to jump right into a proof for the existence of God. Get to know people, where they're coming from, the reasons why they believe what they believe, and what they mean when they say they believe something. So when an atheist tells me I don't believe in God, I'll reply by saying, tell me about the God you don't believe in. If they start talking about a big Santa Claus in the sky who's keeping record of wrongs and rights, going to judge us one day based on them, I'll say, I'm with you. I totally don't believe in a God like that. And I'll say, can I tell you about the God I do believe in? Or someone might say, I think religions are all the same. Instead of just jumping into a revelation of that idea, just ask, what makes you believe that? Like, find out why somebody believes it. Because you obviously know it's not true. I think tonight, I hope, has made it abundantly clear they're not all the same. But what makes somebody believe that? What do they perceive about religions that causes them to lump them all in the same category? And hearing that answer will be hugely helpful in discerning how to share what's distinct and unique, uniquely good about the gospel. Other people say, I think people are basically good. Which leads to, why do we need religion anyway if we're all basically good? Ask, really? And what about, and then you use an example like Mussolini or Hitler, like the German Holocaust, terrorism and war today, kidnappers who traffic children for sex, all the people who commit these human atrocities. They're basically good. Like, do you really believe that? So create humble dialogue, and as you do to cause honest questioning. Tim Keller does a great job talking about this in the beginning of his book, a Reason for God. But instead of always seeing yourself as needing to answer every question people may ask you about your faith, create humble dialogue that causes honest questioning about others' assumptions and beliefs. So a friend, neighbor, acquaintance says, God doesn't exist. Instead of immediately going on the defensive trying to prove that he does exist, why not start by asking, can you prove that God doesn't exist? which no one can do. Atheism is totally unprovable. To say that God is not there. If I was going to say that something is not in this room, I would have to have searched this entire room to see if, God, if that thing was here. And once I've searched the entire room, I would be able to say, okay, it's not here. So in order to say that there is no God, that means you have to have searched all knowledge to see if God is there. And if you've searched all knowledge, that means you have all knowledge. And by definition, that makes you God. And therefore, you deny your own divinity with your own statement that there is no God. Like it doesn't, you can't do it. So... Uh, that makes sense at twelve thirty at night. So uh, anyway, it's it's un, it's unprovable. So another way to get to that point might be to say, why why have human beings throughout history believed in the supernatural? And it certainly seems like atheism is contrary to human nature, that there's something inherent in human beings to look to the supernatural. What, what what causes that? Where does that sense come from? Again, the goal here is not to establish irrefutable truth, but just to cause honest questioning in such a way that once those questions are asked, the journey toward truth can begin. So generally create humble dialogue, cause honest questioning, and specifically think about how you share the gospel with scientific Sam. Someone believes in, na- in evolution, natural evil in the world. Science may not answer all the questions he asks, but... Why not start with exploring some of those questions to ask that are pretty significant? How did creation begin? How was creation caused? And the focus on the beginning. So even with evolution, there was a starting point with something. So in the beginning, why was there something instead of nothing? And from those questions to cross bridges that point to creation and a divine creator as at least one possible answer to the question of where the world came from, a creation, creator to whom creation seems to point, Psalm 19. So just to bring that on, the, to bear on the question of beginnings, Suppose scientific evidence shows that the universe began to exist in a great explosion called the Big Bang 15 billion years ago. Many are impressed for the evidence for the Big Bang, Bang, but the ultimate question is not what happened, it's what caused it to happen. Ex nihilo nihil fit. Out of nothing, nothing comes. There's a threefold progression here. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. At some point, the universe began to exist, so the universe has a cause. What well, the Big Bang requires is that the universe began to exist, but it was created out of nothing, which pff, it's pretty awkward for evolutionary atheism because we must believe the universe came from nothing and by nothing, which makes no sense. Out of nothing, nothing comes. Aristotle said nothing is what rocks dream about. It's nothing, so I know we got some NASA guys on the other side here. Uh, Robert Zastro he said the details differ but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of, accounts of Genesis are the same. This is an exceedingly strange development, unexpected by all, but the theologians, they have always believed the word of the Bible, but we scientists did not expect to find evidence for an abrupt beginning because we have had, until recently, such extraordinary trace, success in tracing the chain of cause and effect backward in time. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who lives by, who's lived by faith and in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He's scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. So, just... Point, point to creation, point to design, how God leaves the imprints of his glory upon the design of the earth. So we know this is what the Bible teaches to be true. That God's revealed in such a way that his, his a, in attributes are clear in creation. Um, I love Paul Davis, one, one time agnostic. Through my scientific work, I've come to believe more and more strongly that the physical universe is put together with ingenuity so astonishing that I cannot accept it merely as brute fact. So to speak with awe about the design of the universe, the fact that it points to the designer, the fact that the earth, if it were just ever so closer to the sun, we'd burn up in an instant. If we were ever so far away from the, uh, just slightly farther away from the sun, we would freeze in an instant. But we're held by a who, by a designer, a someone. What's so interesting, I, I gotta give you a little context. This quote from Charles Misner who was commenting on Albert Einstein's skepticism toward religion. Talking about Einstein, this brilliant scientist who had studied so much more in the world, Mr. Mister. said, the design of the universe is very magnificent, shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that's why Einstein had so little use for organized religions, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the Christians said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He'd seen much more majesty than they'd ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is he simply felt the religions he'd run across didn't have respect, proper respect for the author of the universe. Oh, do you realize who we worship? We worship the God who Isaiah 40 calls the stars by name. Right? So... So when sharing the gospel with Scientific Sam, let, let the limitations of science become a bridge to begin to talk about the realistic possibility of a creator who caused creation, a designer responsible for our design. And this is actually not far-fetched at all, not any more far-fetched than the silence that science ultimately gives in the face of those questions. Sharing the gospel with moral Mark, a moral atheist, disenfranchised by the morality or lack thereof in religions, pictured more of as power play for authority, and so to say, I have no desire to defend the morality of every religion in the world, specifically the religious people you've been around who've caused questions in your life, but to, to get down to that. So your life, Mark, Mark, do you believe in right and wrong? And I am thinking the answer is yes. And so to ask, why do you have a sense of right and wrong? Where did that come from? Or how do you know the difference between right and wrong? And those questions lead to bridges to cross in conversation about how the existence of moral, objective moral values points to a moral creator. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 2. Basically, the fact that we have a moral law written on our hearts by which we know something is good or bad actually points to a moral lawgiver. To begin talking about how if God doesn't exist, then good and evil do not exist. At least not any innate sense of good and evil, right and wrong. Because there's no objective basis for determining between the two. Any atheist knows this. Look at uh, this quote from Dinesh to Susan. If we're purely material, in other words, just natural physical beings, then we should no more object to mass murder than a river objects to drying up in a drought. Our ability to distinguish between good and evil and to recognize it is real means that there is a moral standard in the universe that provides the basis for this distinction. And what is the source of that moral standard if not God? So an atheistic worldview provides no objective basis for distinguishing between good and evil. Michael Ruse, noted agnostic philosopher of science, said the position of the modern evolutionist is that morality is a biological adaptation no less than our hands and feet and teeth. Considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something, ethics is illusory. I appreciate that when somebody says love thy neighbor as thyself, they think they're referring above and beyond themselves. Nevertheless, such reference is truly without foundation. Morality is just an aid to survival and reproduction and any deeper meaning is illusory. Same thing, another atheist ethicist. We have not been able to show that reason requires a moral point of view or that all really rational persons should not be individual egoists or classical amoralists. Reason doesn't decide here. The picture I painted for you is not a pleasant one. Reflection on it depresses me. Pure practical reason, even with the knowledge of the facts, will not take you to morality. So when you recognize that, you realize atheism is left with hopeless subjectivity that's dependent upon the whims of changing society where culture determines what's right and wrong. And as long as culture says something's okay, then it's okay, which sounds good to some, at least at first, but think about the implications. And this is where it's helpful in conversation with Mark to show the implications of an atheistic approach to morality are frightening. Taken to their end, far more frightening than any other religion he's grown disillusioned by is he really prepared to say that as long as Nazi German culture said it was okay to exterminate Jewish people, that made it okay. Listen to Richard Dawkins, noteworthy atheist. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky. You won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect, is if, expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless, indifference. DNA that neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Can you imagine telling the victims of Auschwitz, sorry, Hitler and these Nazi soldiers were just dancing to their DNA? They're neither evil nor good. It's just blind, pitiless, indifference. They neither knows nor cares. Or present day, telling moms and dads of little girls in West Africa who were kidnapped by Boko Haram have been forcibly raped, married off to militant Muslim captors who are now training them to be suicide bombers. They're just dancing to their DNA. We, we can't conclude. We don't want to conclude that there is no God. See the implications. They can see, be seen only in the context of... Humble dialogue, questioning, honest questioning, gospel conversations. So then what about sharing the gospel with the insignificant Isabel? First, there is no God, she said. Second, I'm an insignificant part of the universe. Third, when I die, I'm dead. Uh, no ifs, ands, and buts. No invisible superparent. Scary, naked feeling at first, but I'm on my own. I just want to make the best of the one chance of bad I have. So ask questions. If the universe is ultimately impersonal, and therefore we're all insignificant, then why do we have such a personal desire for meaningful relationships like you mentioned? And where does that come from? If we really are insignificant in the whole of creation, then why do we have such a strong desire inside of us for significance? Maybe another way to put that question, if we really aren't insignificant in the whole creation, then where does that strong desire for significance come from? Maybe another way to get at the heart of what we all feel, want, desire... For some reason, ask, is there part of you that desires ultimate justice in the world, transcendent meaning beyond this world? I, when you see sex trafficking and terrorism and poverty and oppression and injustice, isn't there something in you that says, surely this is not all there is? And if so, where does that desire come from? So to get to the heart and then begin to cross the bridge and to show in the gospel how our search for significance comes from a personal creator who's made us in his image. Our longing for love comes from a loving creator. This wonderful gift we have of love that even Isabel talks about and the relationships we have with other people, this love is a gift. It's the most excellent way ultimately because there is a God who is love to show how our desire for justice comes from an ultimate judge. We want to see ultimate justice, and it's right to want that. One day it's gonna happen. The Bible makes clear that one day ultimate justice will be shown. Evil will not have the last day. Justice will reign to show that. Show her how desire for meaning comes from a majestic God who awes us with majesty and wonder. Revelation four. See beauty that you can't even imagine or comprehend the whole, whole thing in every interaction with Sam, Mark, Isabel, atheist, agnostic, I, I hope we're seeing that objections to the existence of God aren't just in a person's head, they're in a person's heart. The fool says, the Bible says, not in his head, but in his heart, there is no God. In his heart, like, All of us have a heart that turns away from God, to the truth about God, to the thought of God. None of us reacts to God naturally with joy. We're sinners, we're rebellious. That's the whole point of the gospel. This is not just a head issue. So we can't just get right proofs for the existence of God and think that's gonna change everything. It's a heart issue. So how does the heart change? And the answer is to the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the spirit. So remember that the gospel proclaimed and portrayed has power to save. So call atheists, family members, friends, neighbors, acquaintances, to turn from their way of thinking, to turn from their denial of what God has made clear in creation, and the law that God's put on their hearts. Share the truth of the gospel, call them to turn from their way of thinking, and to turn from their way of living like there is no God. Urge atheists, friends, family members, neighbors, acquaintances, to trust in the creator who rules over them, and to realize this ruler is good, that he loves them, that he's designed them to enjoy him, Trust in the Savior who will redeem them, who will wipe away all their rebellion against him solely by faith in him. Tell them how much God loves them. There's a God who's not only true, but he's worthy of their trust. Now, you put all that together with all we've seen tonight, an atheist might ask the question, just as a Hindu, Buddhist, animist, Muslim might even ask the question, I hear you talk about how loving God is. Well, if he's really that loving, then why is there only one way to him? Isn't that a question that Kind of comes to the surface after this whole night. Like if you're saying, if what you're saying the gospel is true, then billions of people right now on a road that leads to an eternal hell because they've trusted in, they've not trusted in that one way. So how is that loving of God? Isn't God more loving than you're giving Him credit for? If God is loving, wouldn't He make other ways, all kinds of ways? I mean, if Christians really believe God was loving, then Christians wouldn't be so narrow-minded. And I feel the force of those questions, particularly when I look at the numbers we have looked at tonight. This is where I want to encourage you. When others ask you that question, to point them, even when you think about it, and when others point it, to ask you it, to point people, point yourself, to the pursuing love of God and the perceived narrowness of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. John 14:6, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't just say those words out of nowhere. So, you ever been in a conversation with somebody where you're talking about something for like hours and you get in a deep conversation and then somebody else comes in and starts Kind of interrupting the conversation and bringing up things you talked about hours ago, and you just want to say, uh, "Who invited you into this conversation?" Uh, so, so we got to realize when we read John fourteen six, this is a conversation that began a, a way ways back. So when I talk with atheist friends, uh, acquaintances, people that I'm talking about the gospel with, uh, I'll say, Dude, "Let's step back for a minute. Like I totally get some of these questions. Uh, imagine for a minute, just imagine that there is a God." And I know that, that you don't believe that there is a God, but again, you, you can't prove that he's not there. You don't have all knowledge. So maybe somewhere in the knowledge you don't have, God exists. So just imagine there is a God. He's, he's perfect, perfectly good. He's perfectly loving. He's, everything about him is good. Everything about him is loving. And imagine this God were to create uh, a world, and he were to create all these beautiful things in the world, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he would create a man and a woman, and he would say, I've created you to know me uniquely, to enjoy me, to walk with me, and, and I want you to experience life with me forever. Imagine one day that creation, were to look at the creator and say, uh, I, I think we, we don't want to follow our creator's ways, we'd rather do things on our own. Imagine the creator had said, if you turn from me, if you, do, if you eat from this tree, then you'll experience death. But I don't want you to experience death. I want you to experience life. Imagine the creation were to say, I don't think we can trust Him. So they were to eat from that tree and totally turn from their creator. Imagine the creator saying, I told you if you did this, you would experience death. But I. I have in motion a plan for you to still live. Imagine this creator sent people to his creation to bring good news of his love for them. Imagine he called some of them to himself and said, I want to enter into like a covenant, a marriage relationship with you to show my love to you in a way that you'll then reflect my love to everybody in the world. And imagine those people would say, yes, we want to do that. They're called the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And imagine the people of Israel who entered into this marriage relationship, this covenant relationship with God, the creator were to say, you know, I think we'd, we'd rather take our gold and silver, put it together and worship that instead of our creator. Imagine the creator were to send messengers to his people to say, I love you, turn back from your sin, trust in me. And imagine that creation were to take the messengers sent by the creator and were to stone them and saw them in two persecute them. And imagine after all that, the creator were to commit the ultimate act of condescension and come to the creation himself and love and care for his creation, serve his creation, and make a way for his creation to know the creator. And imagine the creation were to take the creator himself in the flesh and to mock him, beat him, scourge him, spit upon him, nail him to a cross in the most cruel form of death they could imagine. And imagine in light of all of that, the creator were to say to anyone in all history, if you'll simply trust in my love for you and what I did for you, then I will forgive you of all your rebellion against me and you can live with me forever. I'll say to my atheist friends, like, if that were true, then doesn't it seem a bit bold to look in the face of that creator and say, why have you only made one way for us? because once you realize the whole story, you realize the question is not why is there only one way, The, the question is why is there any way at all? And you begin to realize that even if there were a thousand ways, we would want a thousand and one. The issue is not how many ways, the issue is our autonomy. We wanna make our own way in this life. And the beauty is he loves us so much to save us from the effects of our making our own way. Point them to the pursuing love of God and the perceived narrowness of the gospel. There are a lot of atheists in the world that need to hear the gospel. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.